couple of months ago when all of the evacuations were happening in Afghanistan, uh, we shared with you about a family uh, from right here in our own church, a, a, a young man who came to IU, was baptized in our waters, gave his life to Christ, went back to his home country to serve as uh, a physician, a doctor, uh, help the U.S. military and government as a translator, helped with WHO and, and some, some efforts as well. And because of his partnership with the U.S. and, and WHO, uh, we informed you that it kind of put him and his family uh, on a and so we asked you and we even spent time uh, praying for him and his family, his children, their safety. They were in hiding uh, as they were being pursued by, by the Taliban. And uh, a week ago, while we were worshiping in here on Sunday, um, Q and his family were being evacuated from Afghanistan into a safe place. Can we praise God for that? It was uh, just a, a crazy cool story of how all of this came to be. But it started with a family here in our church that was moved by compassion and said, we want to do something to help. And they got the ball rolling. They worked with uh, a few folks on staff, one of our elders, made contact with him, got him to a safe place where the rendezvous would happen. And, and they are now in a safe place, looking forward to coming back to Bloomington, to this community that they love as they figure out what is next for, for them. So praise God for, for that. This past week, a buddy of mine sent me a video of how they make food look so good for commercials. And I gotta be honest, it totally grossed me out. <laughs> it was disgusting. The, the tips and the tricks that they use uh, usually left the food completely in, inedible. And so like uh, pizza commercials. Uh, you know, when they, when, they, when they pull the piece of pizza away from the pie and it just looks so good and the cheese is like attached to it, stretching out. So how they actually do that is they screw the pizza onto a board and then cover up the screws with either like pepperoni or sausage. And then they make this, this like combination of cheese and glue and they rub it in between the piece that they're gonna take off. They let it dry for a little bit so that when they pull it off, it looks like the cheese is stretching all ooey and gooey. Cheese is actually ooey, gooey glue. Uh, you would not wanna eat it, but man, it looks so good, doesn't it, when they do that? Uh, for cereal, they don't use milk. They, they pour a bunch of whiteout into a bowl and then set the flakes on there so because the whiteout, they won't sink into it, they won't get soggy, and so they're able to get the shot that they want. Uh, for fruits and vegetables, they spray it down with hairspray to make them look shiny. Uh, for, for strawberries, they'll paint them with, with lipstick to make them look more red. Maybe my favorite one, though, was a commercial for pancakes. And they stack all of these pancakes on top of each other and they look so good, but to keep them from like kind of molding together, they separate them with little pieces of cardboard. Uh, and then they'll put uh, a piece of, you know, a little, little cube of butter on top of it and that's good. But instead of using syrup, they use motor oil because motor oil looks like syrup but it won't absorb into the pancakes. Yuck, right? And so I told my girls that this morning as we were coming into church and they're like, dad, that's disgusting. I don't ever want to eat pancakes again. I was like, you know that we don't put motor oil on our pancakes, right? Uh, it's, it, it just reminds me that like things are not always as they appear. And they do this, you know, for commercials to make the food look good on the outside. They don't, they don't care about 
what's on the inside. They don't, they don't care about how it tastes. They don't care about the nutritional value of it. They don't care if it's going to poison you. It's not for that. They just want to make it, they just want to make it look good. And we place a high value on, on appearances, don't we? High value. Entire industries exist to make us feel better about the way that we look. And social media just throws fuel on that fire and makes it explode. And people are are so focused on making the exterior look good, making their family look good, their experiences look good, themselves look good on social media. When the reality is on the inside, maybe their lives are falling apart, their marriage is falling apart, their kids had just got done fighting before they're like, you're gonna smile and we're gonna take this picture so I can post it online and look cute. But we, 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 we focus so much on what is on the exterior that oftentimes we miss what is inside. And things aren't always as they appear. If you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to our text today, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, early on in the New Testament. If you're new to scripture, you can kind of see where it is in, in my Bible. Uh, we're, we're in uh, what's called the history books of the Old Testament. It tells the story of Israel's history. And so as you flip to it, if you get to First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you've gone too far. If you get to the Psalms, you've gone way too far. Flip back just a little bit and you should see 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in our text today, Samuel, the prophet is caught up in appearances. He's caught up in, in the shine and, and, and looking for things that, that we oftentimes look for to, to determine value and, and worth and, and character. And he's not seeing things the way that God sees them, which is ironic because in chapter nine of 1 Samuel, uh, he, is, he is referred to as the seer, which is what, what prophets were called back then, the seer. And it's ironic because he's not seeing things the way that God wants him to see them, the way that God sees them. In fact, when we get to, to 1 Samuel 16, all that the prophet sees is a whole lot of despair. Look at our verse with me, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Now we've kind of dropped right here in the middle of a pretty important time in Israel's history. And so let's pull back just a little bit to get some context to see what is is going on. What we come to here is is Samuel the prophet mourning. He's grieving. Why is he grieving? Well, to, to get the context for that, you have to go back a few chapters. So if you have your Bibles or app open, flip back to 1 Samuel chapter eight. This is kind of where Samuel's grieving begins. In chapter eight, the leaders of Israel come to the prophet and they say, hey, listen, we want a king. Give us a king. All the other nations around us have kings and we want one too. We, we want a king to lead us and guide us, to protect us. We want a king to fight our battles for us. We want a king like all of the other nations, Samuel. And so make it happen. Give us, give us a king. And up to this point, God had been their king. God had led them out of Egypt and and slavery. God had led them through uh, the wilderness. Uh, God had fought their battles for him. And, and, and they look at that and they're like, yeah, but that's not good enough. We want more. We, We want a king that we can see. We want a king that we can put our confidence in because we can see him before us. 
And Samuel's not, not having it. He's a little discouraged and honestly kind of frustrated by the request. He tries to talk them out of it. He, he tells them that, uh, that the king is going to take advantage of them. He tells them all the things that the king is, is going to do. That, that he's going to take from them their land, their livestock. He's going to take from them their family. He's going, to, he's going to enlist their sons into service to fight for the kingdom and their daughters into service for the kingdom. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. We're, we're going to pay the price. Whatever the price is, we're willing to pay it. Give us a king. And while Samuel is scrambling, trying to convince them to change their minds, God is grieving. Look at what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. And you can hear the pain in God's words over the rejection of the people that he loves. And I, and I think that, that the pain that God is feeling is not for himself, it's for his people. And if, if you've ever watched someone that you love get caught up in destructive behavior and habits, addiction, you know that, that pain that it causes you no doubt. And that pain is very real and it needs to be dealt with. You need to find some hope and healing for your own pain. But a lot of that pain is also because of the hurt that you have watching someone that you love doing something that you know, you know is only going to hurt them even more. And I imagine that that's how God feels about Israel as, as they're asking for this king, as they were rejecting him saying, no, we want more, we want more. You see, I think that God knows the more they're looking for will only leave them with less than they already have. God knows the more that they are looking for will only leave them with less than what they already have. They're looking for something or someone to give them more, but it's only going to leave them with less. But that is the deception of sin, isn't it? Sin always promises more. It always promises to give you that thing that you desire most. And then once you grab onto it, the bottom falls out from underneath you falls out from underneath you and you realize that it can never hold true to what it promises. The deception of looking to something or someone for what only God can provide. It may look good, it may seem like it'll give you what you want, and maybe it does for a while, but sin will always leave you with less than what you already have in your heavenly father. Less peace, less joy, less comfort, less security. The only thing that sin leaves us with more of is more guilt, more shame, more separation, more pain, more brokenness in ourselves and in our relationships. But God tells Samuel to give them what they want. And so in chapter 10, Samuel goes out and he appoints Saul as the first king over Israel. And Saul to be fair, is impressive. I mean, he looks every bit the part 
of a king. They're, they're clamoring for a king. And, and as soon as they see Saul, they're like, yeah, I mean, if anyone in Israel is going to be our king, like that is the guy right there. We're told that no one is more handsome in all of Israel than, than Saul, <laughs> that, that he is a full head taller than anyone else. And so, I mean, he walks into the room and if you're looking for a king, most of people are going to turn their eyes and say that that's the guy who needs to be our king right there. But things are not always as they seem. And there was a lot of motor oil on Saul's pancakes, <laughs> so to speak. Even though everything looked really good and really impressive on the outside, Saul was a mess on the inside. And it wasn't long, it usually isn't, before that started to show up. He starts taking credit for things that, that God does. When he disobeys God, he starts to justify himself and point fingers at, at everyone else. <clears throat> there, there's one time in his, as, he's, as he's king when, when Saul does something that, that he knows is gonna kind of put him as, at opposition with his people and, he, and, and so he's, um, he's kind of conflicted, like, ah, oh, what do I do? I don't wanna own my mistake. Uh, and so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna go and ask Samuel to, to make me look better than what I actually am, to kind of talk me up to the people a little bit so that, so that I can regain their, their trust and regain their respect. And so instead of changing, he's just asking Samuel to kind of lie for him on his behalf so he looks better than what he actually is. And by the end of Saul's reign as king, his life is completely broken down, full of hypocrisy. In chapter 15, God starts to grieve again, only this time he's grieving over the rebellion of Saul. And Samuel begins to grieve with him. This was supposed to be the king to lead God's people, but Saul was no longer following God. He was, he was going his own way. Saul was turning from the Lord. And Samuel knows that as the king goes, so go the people. He knows that character in a leader matters. Competency is important, but character is vital. Amen. It sets the tone for everything else. And Samuel is worried that the kingdom will come unraveled because the king is coming unraveled. But in chapter 16, God says, don't grieve don't mourn. I've got this. He gives Samuel a task. He says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, it's interesting. Most English translations miss the heart of the Hebrew text here. Uh, the, the message paraphrase actually, <laughs> actually captures it probably the best. What God is really saying is this, I have spotted or I have seen the very king I want. That word chosen at the end of verse one is more often translated as seen or to see. And so God is saying, I see a king rising up out of Bethlehem. Don't fret. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't mourn. My kingdom will not unravel even if my king is. The Lord said, verse two, take a heifer with you 
and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse, verse five. Then he consecrated Jesse. He sets him apart and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, wow, man, this is the dude right here. Like surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. Eliab is tall. He's a strapping young man. He's like Captain Bethlehem stepping in to fight the battles and save the day. And so Saul sees him come and he's like, that is the guy right there. Put some oil on his head and let's party. Let's celebrate. We have found our next king. But Samuel still isn't seeing what God sees. He's just looking on the outward appearances. And to him, Eliab looks the part of a king. He looks the part of the one who will step in and rescue, step in and save Israel. But he's not the one that God has chosen. I heard someone say once that sometimes God has to step in and save us from our self-appointed saviors. I know that's been true in my life. Maybe it's been true in yours. We look to someone or something other than the Lord to save us. We want more. And it only leaves us with less. And Samuel was ready to anoint Eliab king, not realizing that he based that decision on the same reasons why everyone looked at Saul and was like, well, yeah, surely this is the guy. He's tall and handsome. <laughs> As if those are qualifications for anything. <laughs> but you know, we're not that far off. Even still today, you know, we do the same thing. Did you know that, that since 1789, the tallest presidential candidate almost always wins? <laughs> Not always, but it's a crazy high percentage. You can, you can look at it, you can track it. There's even PDFs out there that you can find online that show that the tallest candidate almost always wins the, the presidency. During one of the 2016 Republican presidential debates, uh, Google decided that they wanted to track what was searched most often on their site from the time that it began to the time that it, it ended. And what they found was interesting. The thing that was searched most often during that time was not about tax policies or immigration or anything that had anything to do with the qualifications for someone to be president. You know what the most searched for thing was during that debate? It's this. How tall is Jeb Bush? <laughs> Is this guy tall enough to be our leader? Does he have the height that it takes to be our next president? <laughs> like we still look at appearances and abilities and personalities and, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Like those things are okay, but listen, they are secondary. They're not nearly as significant as character. Character is what matters. And so many of us assume that if everything looks good on the outside, then it must be at least okay on the inside, even though we have thousands and thousands of examples of why that is not true. And sadly, some of those examples even come from within the church. So many Christian leaders fall because they look good on the outside, but they are a mess on the inside. They preach good sermons. They lead with a compelling vision. They're driven, but no one ever stops long enough to ask, hey, is God still seated on the throne of your heart? Are you still surrendered fully to him? 
And it can happen to any of us. I'm telling you, it can happen to me. I know that. And so I don't say that with judgment. I'm saying that because of how easily we can take God off the throne and put something or someone else there. Things aren't always as they appear. Which is why God says in verse seven, our core verse for this week, if you're following along in core 52, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the, peop- at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God says, listen, I'm not wowed and struck by height or appearance. I don't, I don't extend or grow my kingdom through charm or personalities. These things are secondary. They are superficial and they can fade. But character, man, character is one of those things that can just continue to grow and grow and grow inside of us. And so God looks for what matters most. God looks for a heart that is willing to surrender to him. Those are the women and men that God chooses to use for his kingdom. See, God knows that what is in our heart is what we love and what we love is what we worship and what we worship is what we make sacrifices for. It's what we give our lives to. In other words, what we live for is what we love and God wants to set apart and use people who are surrendered to him, ready to do his will and build his kingdom. And so Samuel tells Jesse, hey, listen, Eliab, he's not the one. And so Jesse's like, oh, well, I've got plenty more. <laughs> and, and he starts in the, the next verse is parading his sons in front of Samuel. And so the second son, no. Third son, no. Fourth son, no. Fifth, sixth, seventh, no, no, no. And they get to the end of all. I mean, you kind of read the tension in the story. Like, oh, who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? And then they get to the end and Samuel's like, do you have any more? And Jesse's like, well, yeah. We got our youngest son, He's out tending sheep. And it's interesting that that word youngest that he uses literally means, well, there's the runt that's out tending sheep. (laughs) It's usually translated the smallest, the least, the most insignificant. The eighth son was so insignificant to Jesse that he doesn't even invite him to the party. But Samuel says, go get him. And as the youngest son walks up, The Lord says in verse 12, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Anoint him, the runt, the smallest, the least, the insignificant one. He is going to be the next king. And what's crazy is that at this point in the account, we don't even know this young man's name. How cool is that? We don't even know what his name is, but God does because he's seen him and he knows not just his name, he knows his heart. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, don't miss this, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. 
Samuel anoints David, a word that means to make holy, to set apart. He sets David apart to be the next king of Israel. But it is the spirit of God in him that prepares him for what's next. It's the spirit of God in him that makes all of this happen. You see, the spirit of God is what qualified David to be king, not his qualifications, because he didn't have any, at least that's what it seemed. The Spirit of God brought the true heart of a king to David and set him apart. And centuries later, the Spirit that filled David would fill another king. And like David, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, born into obscurity. The, the prophet Isaiah says that Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. No one looked at Jesus and imagined that one day he would be a king. He's the son of a carpenter. But things are not always as they appear. When Jesus got baptized, the heavens cracked open. The spirit of God came down powerfully upon Jesus just as it came down upon David. The spirit would go on to lead Jesus and he followed faithfully, surrendering his heart and his will to the father. And at the end of his earthly life, the spirit ultimately led Jesus to the cross. And it looked like the kingdom had lost. It looked like that the kingdom had come completely unraveled once again. But things were not as they appeared. And God says, I've got this. And death could not hold King Jesus down and he came up out of the grave by the power of God. He ascended into heaven where he is reigning even now and one day he will come again to establish his kingdom here on earth when he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And while we wait for that day, God continues to do in us what he did in David it seems like the way of God's kingdom is to always choose the least and the last, the most unlikely of characters. <laughs> it's just how God works. I think he especially enjoys it when it seems like the odds are all stacked against him. God says, watch what I'm about to do. It's who he sets apart to use. God looks not at the outward appearance but for a heart that is willing to surrender to him. And when he finds it, he does for us what he did for David. He fills us with his Holy Spirit and he sets us apart by his love and for his purposes. And so my question is, are you surrendered to him today? Do you have a heart that is chasing after God's heart like David's was? Or are you looking to something or someone to give you what only God can Today, God wants to step in and save you from your self-appointed savior, those things that look good on the outside and promise to give you more, but only leave you with less, only leave you feeling empty and alone, afraid and ashamed. Your heavenly father wants to save you from those self-appointed saviors and help you find Jesus, the one true king, the one true savior who brings life and freedom and forgiveness and love. If you want to know more about what it means to find and follow Jesus, to find and follow this true Savior, we want to give you that opportunity today. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to close this with a word of prayer. and We'll have one more song. But if you want to talk to someone about what it means to start following Jesus, we'd love to talk to you more about that as we close out our service. But first, let me pray. God, thank you so much for just the way in which your kingdom works, where you 
use the smallest, the most insignificant, oftentimes the, the runt, the least. Lord, you use ordinary, broken people like us that have hearts surrendered to you. And so Father, I pray that today you will find us in this position where our palms are open saying, God, here we are. We surrender our wills to yours. Use us for your kingdom and for your purposes. Set us apart by your love and for what you have planned. And God, as we do, may you do a good work inside of us that spills out and spills over into the lives of others that they may come to know, love, and follow Jesus too. I pray it in his name. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.